and I'm ready to quit. I mean, I, there's so much adrenaline rushing through, but it's not good adrenaline. It's petrifying adrenaline, okay? And you just want to quit because it's that scary. And for somebody that got moved up quickly, right? And I'd pick up the, the walkie-talkie and coach would shoot me out. And at the end, he'd say, uh, have fun, Ruben. Be one with the sled. Click. Welcome to another episode of Success Through Failure. This is your host, Jim Harshaw Jr. And today, I bring you Ruben Gonzalez. A seemingly ordinary guy, Ruben wasn't a gifted athlete. He didn't take up the sport of luge until he was 21 years old, which is old when you're trying to become an Olympic athlete. Against all odds, four years and more than a few broken bones later, he was competing at the Calgary Winter Olympics. Later, at the age of 47, at the Vancouver Olympics, he became the first person ever to compete in four Winter Olympics in four different decades. His story takes people's excuses away. Literally, after listening to this, you will realize you have no excuse to chase your big dream. Ruben's story is going to inspire you to think differently and live your life with passion and to push yourself beyond your self-imposed beliefs and your self-imposed limitations. Ruben has appeared in all kinds of media outlets, ABC, CBS, CNN, NBC, Fox. He's been featured in Time Magazine, Success Magazine, The New York Times. He's spoken to over 100 Fortune 500 companies, and his books have sold over 300,000 copies worldwide. Ruben has become a friend and someone who I just look up to very much. He's lived out these principles that he teaches. You know, I learn new things every single time I talk to him. I got to spend a night, actually, at Ruben's house a couple of years ago. I mean, this guy is the real deal. I interviewed him back in episode 165. If you want to hear more from him after listening to this episode today, today specifically, we talk about his newest book, which is titled The Shortcut, The Fastest Way to Achieve Your Goals. All right, let's get into it. Here's my interview with Ruben Gonzalez. Ruben, for those who don't know your story, and even for those who do, can you tell us a little bit about how you went from a kid with a dream to an Olympian. Uh, I'm an unlikely Olympian, okay? I'm not a great athlete, can't jump high, can't run fast, not particularly strong. I tell people I'm I'm like your neighbor, okay? Picture that guy. A lot of heart, though. A lot of heart, no body. And when I was 10, I saw the Olympics. I was hooked. I thought that's what I want to do. But I didn't believe it was possible because I didn't, uh, I never got chosen for, for, even for kickball, okay? It was terrible. And so I didn't believe it. And it wasn't until I was 21 years old, I'm watching the Olympics again. I see Scott Hamilton, the figure skater, win the gold medal. He's about five feet tall and everything changed. I thought if that little guy can win, I can at least play. I'm going to be on the next ones no matter what. I just have to find a sport. Lived in Houston, Texas. I played soccer all my life, but I was the bench warmer. And so um, my nickname was Bulldog because I was very perseverant, very tenacious. So I thought, okay, if that's my strength, I have to plan around the strength. And I chose the luge because I thought it looks like a lot of broken bones, maybe a lot of quitters, and uh, I just won't quit. I went to Lake Placid, and uh, when I was 21, at first they wouldn't take me because I was so old. But You're old at 21. At 21? Well, yeah, because starting a new sport, you know, these guys start when they're 5, 8, 10 years old. And so, um, but I went, and four years and a few broken bones later, I got to compete in the Calgary Olympics. And uh, I went on to do four Olympics in four different decades. So kind of a late bloomer. My goal, I'm a professional speaker for the last 20 years. My goal when I speak to anyone is I want to do for them what Scott Hamilton did for me. 
right? Uh, just take that fear, take the uh, the fear of the unknown, the fear of failure away, and get people ready, you know, ready, focused to you know face those fears and make it happen. Your new book, latest book, is called "The Shortcut: The Fastest Way to Achieve Your Goals." There are no shortcuts, right, Ruben? Uh, on the one hand, I would always tell you there's no shortcuts, right? And uh, and then when I thought about this idea, uh, kind of developed. Uh, I thought, well, I guess there is a shortcut, but it's not the shortcut that people think. It's still going to take work, effort. You know, you're going to go through failure. You're going to have to learn from your failure, and et cetera. But I did a TED Talk back in March. It's called uh, The Power of Following the Leader. And um, in it, I spoke about how that hardheadedness, that bulldoggedness that I had, that perseverance was great for learning the luge, right? Because it kept me from, from quitting when I was going through those struggle years. But that same hardheadedness made me resist my coach's advice. I learned everything the hard way. In fact, what my first luge coach, uh, Dimitri, Dimitri from, from Ukraine, uh, he used to say, hey, Ruben, you're not bulldog. You're half bulldog and half mule, okay? You didn't have to get hurt so much. And so for three Olympics, I was like that, holding back, resisting. And it was fear of uh, letting go, right? Fear of losing control that kept me from just letting them give me, you know, uh, that advice and, and acting on it right away. And when I started training for the Vancouver Olympics, I was going to be 47 in Vancouver. And I was al already the oldest one when I competed in Salt Lake City when I was 39. I mean, everybody thought I was a coach back then. And before it was the top 50 got to go. And this time it was going to be only a top 40 men would get to compete in the Olympics. And I was always ranked about 45 when you do all the math. And so I had my back to the wall and I realized I'm going to have to do something different or else I'll be watching it on TV. And I made a decision that whatever coach says, I'm going to apply that right away. If coach says, uh, shave your head, put on some lipstick, that'll make you go faster, man, I'll do it right now. Right. And that change of attitude, it was um, incredible. I started improving and I started improving faster. Right. Where before I plateaued forever. Now I, I was starting to improve again. And even several years later, I went back at 55, just on a whim. I was listening right away to the coaches applying and I was sliding at, at, at 55. I was sliding better. I had personal bests at 55, better than I ever had before. And the only thing that changed was my attitude towards the leader, right? I was, I was coachable now before I wasn't coachable. And so that's the shortcut. You know, you have to find the coach, find the mentor, find the person that you that's done what you want to do, but then you got to follow the leader right away. And that's the shortcut to, to success in anything. Quick interruption. Hey, if you like what you're hearing, be sure to get the notes, quotes, and links in the action plan from this episode. Just go to jimharshawjr.com slash action. That's jimharshawjr.com slash action to get your free copy of the action plan. Now back to the show. Why do we resist that? Why did you resist that? You mentioned control. I mean, why is it that we tend to have people around us who are successful and we see them, maybe they're mentors or coaches, or they're somebody who we can, you know, follow very cleanly. Clearly, we can see what they're doing. Why do we resist it? When you uh, get coached in a luge, it's one-on-one, -on -one, right? You finish your run, you pick up the walkie-talkie, coach tells you everything you did wrong, and that's pretty much it. And then you walk down to the track, you have a few minutes before your next run, and, and now you're watching sleds go by. Now you're getting a visual, and you're getting coaching there, but it's one-on-one. -on -one. 
that. And I always resisted. And, and, and the answer to your question is it's fear of losing control. Right. I was a control freak. And, and that's how I've learned since then. that most people are like that. It's just not me. But what I learned was when you let go, see, when you're in control, that keeps you in your comfort zone and you can't improve your comfort zone. Right. <laughs> you have to get outside the comfort zone. That's scary. And so you have to let go. Right. And accept the coach's advice. And by letting go now, that allows you to get out of the comfort zone. Now you have the opportunity to to improve. And so that's why I started improving because I let go and trust it. It's a trust issue, right? But when you were asking me the question, it reminded me, I started speaking professionally in 2002. And uh, I don't forget if it was later that year or the year right afterwards, I, I invested some money to go to this guy that teaches you how to become a better speaker, how to, how to develop your stories. And it was a weekend seminar at his house. And it was me and five ladies. I was a token guy. And, and so we would do a story. The way it worked is you do a, like your signature story up on a little stage he had, and then everybody would grade you. And then he would go, everybody did that. And then he would teach, 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 teach. And then later we had to do it again using what he taught and he videotaped everything. Now, if he had been one-on-one, this, I'm an introvert, believe it or not. Most speakers are, it turns out. A lot of, a lot of actors are too. And if it had been one-on-one, the stuff that he was asking me to do was so far outside my comfort zone, right? So wild and crazy for an introvert like me that I wouldn't have applied it if it had been one-on-one. But when I saw how his advice improved those ladies' stories dramatically, it made a believer out of me and I applied right away. And so at least in my case, I got to see, you know, I, I got to see proof. Even though my coaches are Olympic champions, that wasn't proof enough for this guy. You know, I had to see proof and results with somebody else, I guess. So you find your leader, you find the person who has done what you wanted to do, you know, that can get you there, but you said you'll still have to go through failure. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, everything's hard in the beginning because you have no skills and everything they teach you is a new skill, right? Or a new way of doing something. And you have to figure it out. You have to stay in the game long enough to learn those skills. And, and then after a while, it starts working. For example, I remember years ago, Tiger Woods changed his uh, golf swing and it was a big deal. Everybody was talking about how, and he understood that it would probably take a year or even longer for him to get over that hump. He was going to get uh, lower results, right? Worse results for a while until he learned this, but he was committed because he knew that in the long run, this is going to make me a better golfer. And so that's what happens. You, to, you don't want to change anything the day before the race, right? I mean, no matter who you talk to, no, uh, you have to go with what's working for you. But in the off season or in the interim, that's when you make the changes and try to try to figure out the, the new, better way. As you know, that's the whole crux of this podcast is to reveal that failure is a natural part of success. And for you, Ruben, in, in Luge, failure meant broken bones and at very high speeds, you know, crashing down a track, right? You're going 80, 90 miles an hour down the track, pulling six Gs on some of the curves. Not all tracks have six G curves, but some do. Your head's hanging off the end of the sled. Nothing's supporting it, right? So, so you're pulling Gs and you're trying to hold your head up. It's completely counterintuitive. Anything that would be normal to do on that sled will get you into trouble. So it fit me perfectly, right? I didn't even know it because it's so hard. There's going to be a lot of people quitting, right? But 
just to give you an example, you want the center of gravity on the back of the sled towards your torso. And so you want to just be laying down flat on it, right? Like you're laying down on, in your bed, reading a book, for example. You're just flat. And that it's set up to where it'll work. Well, imagine you hit a wall and you're a beginner. But what do you want to do? You lift your head because you want to see, right? Because you're scared. As soon as you lift your head, that moves the center of gravity towards your feet. And now it gets squirrely on you. It gets worse, right? Or another thing that would happen with me in the first years is I would get scared because of the speed. I would just get scared. And I put my feet down. Like, that's going to slow me down. But you steer. with You do a lot of the steering with your feet. So it's like if you're if you're on the freeway and you got scared, you did this. Ah, right? You wouldn't do that. <laughs> but in the luge, it's natural to do for a beginner. <laughs> yeah, so it takes 10 years to learn how to luge normally. You start with a little kid, and, and it takes 10 years to get the men's start. Before that, you're a junior. At 19, you're a man, right? And so you start training. You start racing at the top. But because I was coming in... Uh, late. They took 10 years and they crammed it into two years. That's why I got hurt a lot more than most people because they, you know, they rushed me through it. But I, they had to do that because the next two years I had to race internationally to try to have enough World Cup points to, to get in the top 50. That was the, that was the whole plan. Yeah, it was brutal, right? But And I hated it, okay? I white-knuckled it for 20 years. But I recognized that the luge was the vehicle. The Olympics was the dream. And so I focused on the dream. I focused on on the why, right? Why do you want to do something? Well, man, I don't like making those sales calls. Yeah, but think about what it's going to do to your business. Think about your lifestyle if you do make them. So you don't focus on, I want to do my sales call. You focus on the result, right? Or whatever's going to get you to do it. So that's what I did. That's what I did. I just really tried to listen to coaches a lot better, a lot quicker. In the book, you reference a concept, quote, the dream gives you strength. What do you mean by this? You're going to have to go through struggles. Successful people, they focus on what they want. They talk about and they think about what they want. That's all they talk about, right? Because they're driven. That's what they want. Unsuccessful people, which is probably 80% of the people out there, right? They talk about and think about what they don't want. They're sitting at the water cooler whining and complaining. And the interesting thing is <laughs> whatever you talk about and think about gets bigger in your life, right? And so you focus on the dream because the dream gives you strength. It gives you power. Gives you. There's always going to be obstacles. There's always going to be that failure you're going to have to go through with those wrecks. But the dream gives you the driving force, the strength, right, to, to get through it. I've got a friend that's a uh, rally racer, right, cars where you're running, they're going on the dirt 90 miles an hour, 100 miles an hour. And they said, if, if you lose control, and these are little roads, right, these are real roads out in the backcountry somewhere, if you lose control, you don't look at the light pole. You look at the space between the light poles because whatever you look at, that's where the car's going. And so what you focus on, that's where you're going to go. And so that's the dream. But dreams are scary, you know, like, like, and we're not talking about like getting the promotion or getting incrementally better. We're talking about the big dream. Like, what if I don't get there? What if the obstacles I discover along the path are insurmountable? What if, what if Ruben, what if, I don't even see a path from where I'm at to where I want to go. What if I don't even see a path from here to there? Like for you in your Olympic dream, like there truly was no path for you to get from where you were, a, a guy who played Division One soccer, but wasn't a sport where you thought you could make the Olympics, right? And you basically essentially had no sport to an Olympian. There was no path from where you were to where you want to go. For the listener who's saying that or thinking that right now, what do you say to them? 
number one, you got to get to the point where you believe, right? Because for, for 11 years, I didn't believe. I talked about it. I read books. I was an Olympic groupie. I wasn't, a, you know, I wasn't doing anything. I wasn't taking actions. I didn't believe it was possible. It wasn't until I saw Scott Hamilton that I got inspired, right? Inspiration, right? And so now when you believe, everything changes because now you're ready to take action. My first book's called The Courage to Succeed. You got to have two types of courage to reach your goals. Courage to get started, courage to not quit. Courage to get started comes from believing it's possible. Courage to not quit comes from your desire. You want it badly enough, ain't nothing going to make you quit. And so I always had the desire, but I didn't have the belief. Now I got the belief. Okay, now you believe, but I have no clue. How am I going to do it, right? I live in Houston. Give me a break. The only ice I've ever seen is in my iced tea. Well, you got to find a coach, right? You got to find a mentor. Find somebody that's been through that minefield, right? And so they were there in Lake Placid, right? The coaches. And so you have to humble yourself to their leadership. And I promised myself that I would do that, believe it or not, before I left Houston. But my nature was, you know, no, part of me always held back. And you have to trust that the coach knows the path. When I wrote my first book, I just started speaking professionally. And it's a couple of months in. And I'm on food stamps, okay? <laughs> and because I quit my job way too soon and things dried up. And I realized, oh my gosh, I tell everybody to find a coach or a mentor. I'm not even taking my own advice. I need to find somebody that knows the speaking business. And I found a guy. We meet for coffee. First thing out of his mouth is, I don't care if you're a 10-time Olympian. Unless you write a book, no one's going to take you seriously. Because the author is considered the authority of his subject. He wrote the book on it. And I thought, I can't. I, I told him, I can't write a book. I made C's in English, right? My parents celebrated or brought a C in anything. <laughs> and he says, you got a great story. You write it down. Write it down like you're writing a letter to your best friend. Don't try to be fancy. Just write, write, write. We'll give it to some A students. They'll clean it up for you. See, that, that's just grammar. I thought, oh, my gosh. I didn't think about that. And he goes, yeah, it's called editing. So shut up and sit down, right? So he's beating me across the head, but he's teaching me. And so isn't that how it always is, though? I mean, uh, you have all these logical reasons why something is not possible, why you're, you know, you're not worthy. You can't do it. You're not good enough. All this logical stuff. But if you go to the mentor, he'll say, no, piece of cake, you know, just find some A students. What's your next problem? Because they've been through it. They've been through the minefield. So that's the beauty. That's why people listen to your podcast, because they learn from you and they learn from, from all your, your guests. And man, what you're, you're coming on close to 400 episodes. I mean, that's unbelievable. Congratulations. Yeah, thanks, man. A lot of wisdom. I get to talk to people like you all the time and, and make amazing friends like you. And, and for the listener, like, you've got to get to the point where, where you believe. Like Ruben talked about, you've got to believe. Well, what does that mean? Like, well, you can believe when you hear a guy like Ruben share his story, you go, ah, well, may, maybe I can believe too. Maybe I can take that first step. Maybe I can stop saying, boy, that's just a pipe dream. It'll never happen. And actually go, uh, maybe, maybe this can't happen for me. That's number one. And number two, it's what are the words that you're using? Like, are you saying I can't, I won't, that would be nice, but yeah, but then we always like say the yeah, but yeah, but I've got this in roadblock or I don't have that. Like, Change the language that you use. And I've used this several times before, and this is a, a much smaller scale, but I've told listeners before that I used to hate running. I would always tell myself, I hate running. I'm no good at running. I don't know. I told myself that for decades. And I'm finally, I'm like, I'm done saying that. I signed up for a half marathon and I decided to change my language. I said, I'm starting to get better at running and I'm starting to enjoy running. 
sorry, those are the two phrases I started using. And I ran the half marathon. I had, I've done a marathon since, and I've did a half marathon Spartan race since. And, but these words are so critical. Did you find that true for your experience too, Ruben? Like the, the words that you say? Oh, absolutely. And uh, I mean, I finished a lose run, especially in the first few years, and I'm ready to quit. I mean, because I there's so much adrenaline rushing through, but it's not good adrenaline. It's petrifying adrenaline, okay? And you just want to quit because it's that scary. And for somebody that got moved up quickly, right? And I pick up the, the walkie-talkie and coach would chew me out. And at the end, he'd say, uh, have fun, Ruben. Be one with the sled. Click. Have fun. Man. I can have fun. We just get out to death. I mean, you started when you were five years old. And I cuss him out for a while, right? Because he's, he's already hung up, right? <laughs> but then it's like, oh, my gosh. He said I, all my problems start on curve six. That's right. That's when I lost control. That's when I started hitting the walls. And then I would – something in me, right? When, when that realization came, right, that, you know, it's like, boom, yeah, uh, curve six. That's, he's right. That's where I messed up. Then I started walking up and down, pacing like a madman, right? I can do it. I can do it. I can do that. I'm a winner. I'm a winner. I'm a winner. Every day in every way, I'm getting better and better, stronger and stronger. You know, I will be an Olympian. And I would just sometimes 15, 20 minutes, okay, giving myself a pep talk. I don't know what everybody else thought because I, I look like a madman out there. I'm putting on mental armor, right? I'm giving my, no one else is going to give me a pep talk, right? So you better, you better give it to yourself and nobody else. And then finally, you get to the point where I will get on that side. And when I do, I'm pointing my toes. I'm boom, you know, do, I do everything coach said. And I'll have a best run ever. And, and that's how it was. I mean, it was a fight with myself. I just, I'm reading this book. You've probably heard of it. It's a classic. Just can't believe I'm reading this for the first time. Feel the Fear and Do It Anyways by uh, uh, Susan Jeffers. She's got a lot of self-talk stuff in there. I don't know that one. I know to the list. Oh, my gosh. It's a classic. Turns out that um, Jack Canfield, he tells everybody they need to read this book. Feel the fear and do it anyways. So that's what you do, right? You have to, hopefully you get inspired, right? Hopefully at the end of this, after you listen to this, you, you think, man, if that guy can go to the Olympics, I can do anything. Hopefully, right? And now you're ready to take action. Now, okay, now, when you're at that point, take action right now. Take advantage of that emotion, okay? Because it's going to, it's going to go away. Right. In a day, a couple of days, it's going to go away. But if you jump now, right, you do something big, like you say, I'm joining that that half marathon. You know, you start telling all your friends, I'm, yeah, yeah. The rice, there's a little pressure, a little peer pressure. I'm going to do a half marathon in six months. Right. What? You? You never ran a half mile. Yeah, I know. But half marathon, half mile, similar. Yeah. So <laughs> whatever. <laughs> but right. now you're, you're taking that first step. And now uh, there's this pride involved that you're going to lose face if you don't do it. Right. At least if you don't make the attempt. What I have no control whether I'm going to make the Olympics. Nobody does. OK. All I can control is what I do, the preparation that I do. Right. So I'm preparing for the best and hope you know, preparing for the worst. Right. And, and but, but also uh, hoping for the best. But I can't control what everybody else is going to do. And so at the end, you know, if you lose, you know, maybe you know, top 40 get to go. 41. Maybe he missed it by. By one one hundredth of a second on the last race, that person feels sick inside, right? But when he's brushing his teeth, he or she brushing his teeth in the morning, they can stand up straight and, and because they know that they're a better person for having put themselves through that struggle, through that, that minefield. Why? Because they had to dig deep inside. And when they started doing that, they started finding some of their God-given gifts they didn't know they had. And they've got those gifts for the rest of their lives. See, uh, the, the Olympics, the goal, the dream, that's just a carrot that gets you to do the things that will make you the best you that you can be. 
And so don't ever let anybody tell you that, uh, oh, you're just being selfish. You just care about your, your own dream. No, that person's being selfish because all they care about is what's on TV tonight, right? They're an expert on what's on TV, but they're not ever doing anything. And so are they getting better? No, they don't have much to offer the world, but you're getting better. And so you got more to offer the world, right? And along the way, you'll inspire other people, kids, you know, to, to reach their dreams. It's easy to see this in athletics, right? This is this sort of microcosm of the world. And we get everything that you just said, Ruben, as an athlete and how this works. What does this mean in the real world for the person who's trying to reconnect with their spouse after you know years of being roommates, right? Feeling like roommates or the person who's working in a job that they know doesn't align with who they want to be or, you know, things that are just kind of fine in their life. Like, how do you translate this from athletics to the real world? I mean, as an Olympian, you know what that looks like. You know, what the, I mean, it's very clear, you know, you, there's an opening ceremonies and you're competing in a competition and it's on these certain dates and you wear this certain uniform and all that, right? Do you create that same vision for your life? Did you create that same vision for your life afterwards? And have you seen other people do it? And like, how do you, let's make that transition from the athletic application of this to the real world. I do better in my business when I tie my results to my dream, right? If I, if my business does well, right? And I get a lot of gigs and or I sell a lot of books, but mainly the gigs, 90% is the gigs. I want to make money. And I have disposable income that I can use to, when it gets cold, go out and train or whatever it might be. I wanted to buy a, I used to, I had this old sailboat, little sailing dinghy, okay, 12 footer. I loved it, but I got tired of it. And I wanted to get a catamaran and I could have bought it right away, but I set a goal, right? A certain goal, specific measurable goal in my business. And when I hit this by this time, right? Not by 20 years from now, it's got a deadline because that gives you urgency to do the day-to-day -day things, now I'm going to reward myself by getting this uh, Hobie Wave. I mean, it's a really cool little uh, little boat. A lot more fun than, than the old one. And so I did. And right now I'm looking up there on my, in my office, I've got a couple of uh, PPCs, power parachutes. It's like a trike with a, with a parachute on top, and you're flying, you know, really low and slow, 30 miles an hour chasing deer or chasing, uh, you know, coyotes. I mean, you can be 50 feet off the ground if you're out in the country. It's crazy. And so I got pictures of them right there, two of them. And so, but I'm not going to pull the trigger till I hit my goal. So I tie my work goals, right? So that gives purpose and that gives me motivation to, uh, you know, the motivation is not to get the gig. I mean, going and speaking, for me, speaking, it's fun. It's exciting stuff. But if I never spoke again, if I won the lottery, right? I mean, like the billion dollar lottery, <laughs> right? And I don't have to do that. All right. I could do something else, believe it or not. So uh, even even somebody that has a fun job like mine, you know, uh, has to find an external driving force to make it happen. Clear goals. Some people will do it for the gig. I mean, they, they just love the applause for me. Want, want me to tell you a little bit how this book came about as far as the actual writing of it? Yeah, because this is process for you. This is a learning process for you. And you you wrote yet another book. This is an incredible book. And by the way, the listener, of course, will do the pitch at the end of the show about go buy the book, the shortcut. But it's it's a phenomenal read. And there's sort of this overarching theme that we just talked about. But there's so many lessons in here, Ruben. We don't have time to get into all of them. But there are probably a dozen different lessons about, you know, 
different short, different types of shortcuts. But um, tell us about writing the book, the process of it for you. So I, I had written six books before, right, over the last 20 years, but they're all how-to books. They're, they're nonfiction. I'd never written fiction before. I read a lot of fiction. I read both fiction and nonfiction, but I'd never written it, so I had no clue. And a friend of mine, he'd written this book. Uh, his name is Mark Miller. This is a really good book, too. It's a good leadership book. It's a parable, The Heart of Leadership. So Mark Miller, he wrote that. He's the vice president of leadership for Chick-fil-A. He's been with Chick-fil-A. Chick-fil-A was my first job in high school. And it was his first job, too, about a year apart. And he stayed. And he's a vice president of leadership for them. But he also does a lot of writing. And it's a super cool guy. And so I, I, I contacted him. I said, look, I, I got this TED Talk. And it's hit a million views since March, right? I mean, it hadn't reached that. It was taken off back then when we talked. And I was getting all these emails and letters and stuff. Uh, so, so I'm starting to think, wow, maybe this is being coachable and following the leader might be something that's timely, right? Might be bookworthy. And so I said, I'd like to, you know, I think this should be a parable book, but I have no clue how to do it. Would you co-write it with me? Because he already had fruit on the trees. He had results. Because, man, I'm honored, but I got a full-time job with Chick-fil-A and I got my writing schedule. You know, my editors keep pushing me. I'm, I'm, I can't. I, I wouldn't be able to do it for six years. But, you know, call me in two weeks. I'll walk you through it. It's not that hard. Oh, cool, right? So he, he'd been through the minefield several times. So in the interim, I didn't wait, okay? Have you, you ever talked about the reticular activating system? Buy a red car. You're going to see a lot more red cars next week on the road. That's exactly it, right? You see, you buy a red Honda. You see red It's like everybody bought a red Honda, right? But if you bought the blue one, because that's what you notice, because it's exciting, and right? And so... That's how it works. And I knew that, right? I'm always knowing that. So I thought, okay, I'm going to read as many of these little parable books as I can in the next two weeks. I'm going to be prepared, right? When I talk to them, maybe I'll have better questions to ask them. I read about 15 of them, right? Who Moved the Cheese, uh, One Minute Manager, Fish, the one about the iceberg, a bunch of them, right? I realized a couple of things. One of them was that there weren't very many good ones, okay? That's one thing I know. It's too simple, right? Not enough, you know, not enough meat. It was almost like a coloring book level uh, personal development book. And um, that's one thing. A few of them were good. But the other thing I noticed, oh, and so I wake up in the middle of the night, like at 3 or 4 a.m. before I have this, this call scheduled with Mark. I wake up in the middle of the night. I got the whole plot figured out. I mean, okay, it's going to take place in a cafe. It's going to be, this is going to, I mean, I have, I have it all figured out. It was crazy. Why? Because I was excited about it, because I'd been super focused on parable books for the last two weeks, read 15 of them. Who does that, right? That's one a day. One a day. Heck, yeah, I should read about three a day, but I, I digress. But anyways, so I was focused in my mind, even though even when I was asleep, it was percolating, right? The subconscious was working on it. And so I got it. And I told him, man, I got it. I got, I got the whole thing. I told him, he says, but I, but, but I still don't know how to write fiction. I mean, I, I don't know. He goes, well, why don't you just put your friends in there? You know how they talk. You know how they would react to different situations. And, and just throw them in there and see what happens. And that was genius. I thought, oh, my gosh. You know, I was like, uh, why don't you take it to some A students, right? It was the same thing. Right? <laughs> and so he gave me a little, it didn't even take 45 minutes. He told me that. And, and then he, he asked me about it. And he told me, look, when I started telling him about it, and after I started writing it, and, and I would send it to him, right, for him to look at, he said, man, you got too many points in here, right? He says, I know what you're trying to do. You're trying to give as much as you can. I'm the same way. But whenever I write 
like that, my editors, they, they reject it. They say, maximum, you really should have just three points in your book, in your parable book or fable book, sometimes they call it. Five maximum. If I have, if you have more than five, it's an inversely proportional. The more you teach, the less book sales. Can you believe that? <laughs> okay, fine. But then I went with my heart. You know, I, I said to myself, I'm going to make sure that the main thing, right, is find the coach, be coachable. Because you can be the best athlete in the world. You can be the most talented person in the world. But if you're uncoachable, if you're prideful, then you're not going to be nearly as good. You're not going to go as far as you would as somebody that, that is coachable and is willing to be open to new ways of doing things. So I did that, but in between I sprinkled, uh, and, and uh, I've found about 60 of them. I mean, about 60 different points of this thing. <laughs> <laughs> They're supporting points to the, yeah, the editors would just throw me out of the door, but I don't care. You know, because this represents me and I want it to be a light read. And it is a light read, right? Yeah, it's a great read. Such It's, a, it's such an enjoyable read. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's a fantastic book. And I'm not just saying that because Ruben's my friend. I have him on the podcast. Like, literally, this is just, it's a pleasant, enjoyable read. And it's a great story. And you got to get so much out of it. I mean, this is the guy who's done it. And listen, for the listeners, like, yes, Ruben was a four-time Olympian. Great. Guess what? He went on to become an internationally known speaker. He's spoken in how many? 14 countries or something like that? Oh my God, yeah. 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 All over the world. And he's a, you know, what, Wall Street Journal and USA Today bestselling author. I mean, this is a guy who's done it. And I'll say he's actually done a fantastic job on the parenting front too, because I've met Grace and his son out there, and his son is just a phenomenal human being. I mean, my goodness. So you're, you're, you're crushing it on all fronts too. And your wife is amazing as well. So, yeah, I don't know that I'm ever going to do another fiction book again. I may not do another book again, okay? Because right now, never say never, I don't think. I didn't say I never will, but but the way I feel now. But hey, who knows? Ten years from now, five years from now, something might happen where, well, I got to work this angle in, you know, and it's, and it's a totally different thing. So you never know who you're going to be. Ruben, for the listener who's all in, they're drinking the Ruben Gonzalez Kool-Aid. Kool-Aid. <laughs> <laughs> what what action items would you recommend they take in the next say 24 to 48 hours what can they do to start moving towards their goals if you haven't already signed up if this is the first time let's say it's the first time you you've uh, stumbled across this podcast there's so so much good stuff in it and jim's got this thing where i think it's genius you sign up you put in your email and and he sends you like the top tips from every single show. You don't even have to listen to them. You can just read that way, right? So if you're that new person, sign up for that, right? Because you get to get a ton of free stuff. Watch it to a point where you realize that, that Jim is a great businessman, but he's real, he's genuine, and he's exactly the type of coach that can help somebody you know, move forward because he's done it too. I would say you need two coaches. You need somebody like Jim that gives you direction in your life. And then if you need, if you one thing that you're trying to do is very specific, like become a national aerobatic flying champion, well, you need a, a pilot to teach you to do that, right? <laughs> and then, but, but you put them together and then you can be the best that you can be. So that's, that's what I would say. Find those coaches and work your tail off. Listen to them. Don't be like Ruben. Be like, you know, Ruben uh, 4.0 after my fourth, fourth Olympics when I got it straight. <laughs> 
Ruben, where can people find you, follow you, buy the book, et cetera? Oh, that's well, it's shortcutbook.com, the shortcutbook.com. And you can actually read the first three chapters or hear me uh, read you the first three chapters. And you can get it there. And uh, you can get it on Amazon or you can get it there. And you'll love it. I mean, it's it's a fun read. And it's something that your kids will like, too. I mean, I've actually had people that have read it. They said, man, my 10-year-old girl read this thing. She loved it. It's a 10-year-old. I mean, <laughs> so. Yep. I'll be passing this off to my kids as well. <laughs> Thank you, Ruben, for coming on the show again. Fantastic stories. You're an inspiration. I appreciate the time. Thanks, man. Do good. Thanks for listening. If you want to apply these principles into your life, let's talk. You can see the limited spaces that are open on my calendar at jimharshawjr.com slash apply, where you can sign up for a free one-time coaching call directly with me. And don't forget to grab your action plan. Just go to jimharshawjr.com slash action. And lastly, iTunes tends to suggest podcasts with more ratings and reviews more often. You would totally make my day if you give me a rating and review. Those go a long way in helping me grow the podcast audience. Just open up your podcast app if you have an iPhone, do a search for success through failure, select it, and then scroll the whole way to the bottom where you can leave the podcast a rating and a review. Now, I hope this isn't just another podcast episode for you. I hope you take action on what you learned here today. Good luck and thanks for listening.